Greetings, everybody out there in Dreamland. Namaste and salam. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning in to another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, coast, most Gulf Coast of Texas. My pride and privilege to be doing so. So thank you, each and every one of you, listeners, new and old. I appreciate it most sincerely the time we are spending together. However far into the future from the original broadcast date this is, I always am amazed to think that this podcast could be listened as far off as 100 years from now. Just like I am reading currently a book that was published over 100 years ago. We're in time and space. Our deeds, our actions are immortal. They're our legacy. But there's a two-edged sword to this understanding of physical progress in reality. And that is our deeds, our accomplishments, and the progress we have made relies on the accurate observational abilities of observers to appreciate and recognize the importance of these events, accomplishments, and moments of discovery that make up not only our personal histories, but the histories of our species that we call the history of the world, history of Earth itself. Existentially, you can imagine just how many things that were discovered or were experienced that would have changed the world for everyone that have fallen into oblivion and obscurity due to the lack of living witnesses or the lack of the generations that followed to accurately remember appreciate, recognize, and keep alive to sustain that discovery. We're in such a little dark age where the English-speaking, the Anglosphere, the English-speaking world, United States leading in terms of population, but Canada, Britain, and Australia following, plus the EU, the European Union is also English-speaking, by the way. They're part of the Anglosphere as well. That these people are in a dark age, and they are in a dark age because they are growing blinder by the day to the accomplishments of the past, to the milestones that they have already reached, the progress that was made by the giants that they stand on top of. is being swept away like dust or considered pollution. It's like the destruction of the five olds. Old way of thinking 
old way of acting, old art, old people. an old history. This Maoism is natural and humanity. It's contagious. The youth thrive on the vitality and life force of cannibalizing the older generations. And so are led by only the most bloodthirsty psychopaths. Psychopaths that don't care about lying to your face. Psychopaths that don't care about presenting absolutely false evidence and information. Psychopaths that don't mind about controlling the apparatus of free speech known as the press. Psychopaths that don't mind um, destroying someone's character with slander or painting a picture using deceptive psychological tricks. Someone who isn't opposed to hypnosis or psychological operations like brainwashing, either forced or subliminal. Someone who doesn't care about the truth. Someone who doesn't care about justice. Someone who doesn't care about right or wrong. Someone who only cares about power. That someone or something currently is in control of all these English-speaking nations is currently pulling the strings on all these cover-ups, all these massive psychological operations, both at the military levels when they're covering up crash retrievals and the evidence of their reverse engineering and the secret space programs, etc., and the military SSP programs, super soldier programs, the MKUltra, the cyborgs, all that good shit. We know that that's being controlled by the military-industrial complex and the English-speaking masters of the Freemasonic uh, lodges and the Council of 300, uh, you know, G8 nations, etc., all that. But they also have complete vertical integration going down to the very, very lowest levels of society. The internet troll. The internet news site. And the internet influencer. The social media influencer. The YouTuber. Etc. 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 They've already consolidated and funneled the majority of all of the English-speaking world into using but only a handful of apps. And you saw how violently and politically the debate got when a Asian app, a Chinese communist-developed app, was introduced into the ecosystem with TikTok that they wanted to literally ban TikTok as a Chinese propaganda tool, as a spy device, completely tone-deaf to the fact that they were admitting that social media that is created in the West is a Western propaganda tool, is a Western spy device. Which it is. Where this all comes to a point, where this all comes to an intersection, the crossroads of all these uh, things I'm saying right now, is the cover-up 
of the dark ages of history, of true science, of true medicine, true spirituality, and true extraterrestrial, the extraterrestrial truth, the true extraterrestrial reality that we're all living in, the, the truth of the deep underground biospheres with the breakaway civilizations that live across all strata, the truth of the true artificial construction of this world, and the AI which is ever-present and has been ever-present since it was what constructed this world, the god of this earth, and has controlled our reset and our uh, circumstances until the intervention of these extraterrestrials, and the data and evidence and eyewitnesses and people of expertise that are coming forward in the thousands and have been coming forward to it since time began. These men were called prophets. These men were called scholars. These men were called sorcerers. These men were called occultists. These men were called many names throughout time. Heretic, mostly. Heretic. And that is where we are today. For ufology is finding itself at a point in history, an era of the Dark Ages, where it is controlled by mandarins who are simply educated in the phenomenon enough to continue the status quo to host podcasts to attract the likes of the gullible and the white bread normies and to gatekeep and control as much discourse as they physically can through these unphysical means they can reach hundreds of thousands, millions of people. They have YouTube pushes other algorithms. They have network control over other podcasts with other podcasters so they can be presented as their guests and think of things like theory of everything, alien scientist, um, all that bullshit, right? These fucking quote-unquote ufologists, which are clearly always seen in Washington, D.C. area, are, are sucking the white government, uh, the white hat government dick, the disclosure, the whistleblowers, right? All that bullshit, but never making any progress, always repeating the same conversations over Bob Lazar, our fucking uh, Jeremy Corbell bullshit, Area 51 crap, right? And never going any deeper than a paper fucking plate in terms of actual content subject matter when it comes to alien abductions, contactees, the true literature of real cases, um, you know, both obscure and mainstream um, that have been made obscure, that were formerly mainstream, etc. You, you get literally 1% of the entire picture of UFOs from these fucking cocksuckers, right? Absolutely. 100% these people fucking are cancer. And just like how cancer is physical, physically there, but it's killing you because it's a poisonous, non-essential growth of your own biomass. The same thing with ufology. These figures like Tupacabra, uh, all these fucking like Zeitgeist or whatever the fuck that guy is, uh, the Zignal, the Zignal, and all these fucking clowns, um, all of them are fucking just these tumors. They take up fucking space. They take up people's attention. They get in people's faces. They control a lot of the the impression of what 
ufology currently is with their with their uh, big numbers, you know, all that kind of shit. Their big followers, their big likes, etc. But it really, it's all manufactured shit. It's all complete psyop propaganda, controlled by the same people who control the mainstream media. It's controlled by the same people who control what becomes a news website. Who do you think creates news websites? Do you think that's an organic thing where people are just sitting around and just saying, I should create a daily updated breaking news website based on a specific niche thing and have it be sponsored and signed for grants and survive with a staff, etc.? Like, how do you think Vice uh, operated? Vice is in the news. And how do you think Vice operated? And why do you think Vice has always been hostile to UFOs, always been hostile to people who believe in aliens, always been hostile to any kind of real discovery when it comes to the unusual, the strange, or the paranormal. And But it has featured and always loved drugs, freak, fetish sex, sodomy, etc., as well as political activism, especially that which attacks American sensibilities, the idea of Americana, Right, the quote-unquote Americana, uh, and the idea of a, a, a patriarchal, white-led, whatever American uh, government that it was raised from, because it is Canadian, as well as the championing of the same politics, which has which has led to Canada being the most censored and restrictive of the North American societies, North American uh, countries, in terms of freedom and free speech, etc. It is basically like Europe, and it has completely abandon any conception or any preconceived notion of freedom of speech in, in, in favor of this PC, European Union, G8, BlackRock, uh, rainbow flag extremism, big business corporatism that exists from the EU and uh, the, the English-speaking world, right, that is forcing it to us so they can castrate us and our ability to resist their bullshit efforts, right? And continually vampirizing our reality for their profit, right? And the one thing that they will never admit, the biggest thing that they're hostile to is the existence of alien life. Because alien life proves that they are pitiful, pitifully primitive, and we don't have to fear them. We can rise above them by making these alliances, by reaching out to these extraterrestrials, or just using them as inspiration, as a spirit animal, to seek a different way. In connection with monoliths, in connection with these massive engineering projects that in these perfect utopian cities that must have existed to support the construction of them, I don't think there was pickpocketing and rape and small bullshit crime happening when the pharaohs were building the fucking pyramids. You know, they always say, like, yeah, it took so many blocks to be loaded down one. I think that's because everyone was on fucking board and everyone was listening to the boss. Because that's how a utopia functions. You'd be surprised what you can accomplish when everybody is existing in a perfect society. One that offers and gives out the direct quota and portion of one's place in it. Just like Plato described in the Republic and used the description of Atlantis... Atlantis as a perfect utopian society of these pre-flood civilizations, which had contact with extraterrestrials, which had contact with ultra-terrestrials, crypto-terrestrials, etc. These were these Anunnaki-created societies, right? And basically, if you look into the history of the Jinn, it's the same thing. They have been reported through time that these societies were multi-species societies. Talk about coexisting. Yeah, talk about coexisting, yeah. The gods walked on the earth... The Star Brothers came when the pyramids were being built. 
They were the ones who designed them. It wasn't by human hand. It wasn't by human mind that these societies were first developed. It just wasn't. I mean, it, it's not the case that it just wasn't. Like, oh, we can't do that. But it, the evidence is also clear that this is not 100% human. There's art. There's reliefs. There are legends. There are myths of these star brothers and peoples. I mean, as well, if you, if you accept the fact that, yes, there's also myths and legends and eyewitness statements and all this art relief about giants or metaphysical beings like fallen angels, etc. Yes, the same thing to interpret that fallen angels were just extraterrestrials. Like, it's the same. If you're just using, if you're dividing yourself, you're in this dark age mentality. If you're thinking things like that, you are in also the dark age mentality. You need to start getting out of the dark age programming, right? The dark age programming rejects evidence, rejects all proclam- uh, proclamations from other people based on an egotistical need to reinforce what one already believes is reality despite the progress of others. There is no better definition of ignorance than that. You're turning your back on other people and other people's lights because you're, you're trying to define the reality which you believe exists. So if you're a Christian, for example, and you believe that these are fallen angels, Nephilim, uh, corruption of all DNA, you know, caused the great flood, like, sure, yes, but also understand that at some point, a tomato is a tomato, and if I called a tomato an apple, or I called it a football, it's basically, we're talking about the same thing. And conceptually, through the essence of what we're talking about, if I said O-V-N-I, and you said U-F-O, I am not wrong about the things I'm going to say in Spanish because we're not speaking the same language. It's just we need to translate. We need to speak each other's languages. And if you need to translate my words into your language, so be it. If I need to translate your words into my language, so be it. That's just a necessity. And when you're talking to a stranger, that's called diplomacy. That's called being an intellectual. That's called being an intelligent gentleman. Right? If I don't speak French, I don't discount the progress of the French people in the ufology. If I don't speak Italian, I don't ignore every single UFO case that has ever happened to Italians or in Italy or has been written down in Italian magazines. Same thing with Spanish. Spanish opens the doors to so many different nations and peoples as long as you just respect them and respect the efforts that they are making in the worlds of archaeology, anthropology, medical sciences, biology, engineering, architecture, and music, etc. Once you understand that they are people of progress, people, human beings, equal as respect to anyone else, Chinese, British, German, uh, Swahili, I don't know, Kenyan, if you're pro-African extremist, um, Australian, they are as people from Peru, people from Chile, people from Bolivia, people from Colombia, people from Venezuela, people from Argentina, people from uh, Paraguay, Uruguay, Brazil, are as intelligent as anyone else can be. Once you understand this and understand that they are also part of the New World Order, they're part of the societal framework, controlled by the CIA, controlled by these secret societies. Look at Freemasonry. Yes, Freemasons speak Spanish. There are Freemason lodges in Mexico. There are Freemason lodges in South America. All through this motherfucker. It's controlled as a one world order. 
and Spanish is spoken by billions of people. And Catholicism is typically the religion which controls their framework of thought. And Catholicism is now currently on board with extraterrestrials. Imagine why. Because in their discoveries and explorations of South and Central America, up to Mexico and North America, the Catholics did so much exploration in the western side of America before America even existed. For hundreds of years, they controlled up to Canada. Think about the shit they found. And they interpreted it in their Catholic mindset. Cities they assumed were built by devil-worshipping are demonic societies. When in reality they were reptilian hybrids or reptilian-serving human beings. Think about when they discovered these bodies of giants and um, hybrids and extraterrestrials. That as Catholics, they probably would just burn them. If you want to be anti-Catholic about it, if you're pro-Catholic, they would smuggle these away into their secret archives to be studied by their Jesuit scientists. And these people have such a complete history of the world with their own understanding of it that they firmly dedicate entire classes of priests to studying quote-unquote demons, when in reality it's probably the, the anthropological and archaeological histories of these societies. Bet your ass they know something that most people don't. And they take this stuff very seriously. That's why they have telescopes named Lucifer. I mean, that's the Catholic Church has telescopes. Are we talking about anyone who shouldn't believe in aliens? It's the fucking Catholics. <laughs> One of the reasons, though, I wanted to bring all this up, and I had to explain the dark ages of ufology, is because the Peruvian aliens have come out. South Latin American, Spanish-speaking Peru. Beautiful, beautiful fucking nation of Peru. All those ecosystems, all in one nation, right? Sacred home of the Incas. And once again, in the news, for UFOs and ufology and aliens, as mummies were presented, as many people have already known, this is not breaking news, by Jaime Masson into the Mexican Congress's uh, hearing on disclosure for UFOs and the evidence presented. And at the time, it was widely mocked, even by the American, or one of the times, by the American representative of the American, like, delegate to the Mexican world, like the former fighter pilot. Excuse me. I believe his name is Ryan Graves, that man-tittied bitch. Um, I don't give a fuck about pilots. You guys are fucking a bunch of sissy rich boys. It's like, you fucking short pieces of shit. <laughs> So I worked on air crew, and I fucking hate fucking uh, the ground crew for fucking aviation. I fucking hate uh, pilots. They were just all spoiled fucking rich boys who who just dress like guys you would find on yachts and shit like that in their off hours. They fucking hate them. They uh, just absolute tools. And the fact that pilots really are the people who do kill children and women and stuff in most of our wars. That are the drone operators. So absolute vile, moralist pieces of shit born with a silver spoon in their mouth 
and uh, mostly a bunch of faggots. I'll fucking say it. I don't give a shit. I don't give a fucking shit. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, um, these fucking, that, that Ryan Graves guy goes down to Mexico to talk about the American bullshit of like, oh, military pilots, commercial airline pilots saw something and wrote it down. That's how, that's about as much as we can get into. That's about as much as our evidence actually leans into. Not any historical cases or evidence stuff. And the Mexicans just showed up with a fucking alien body. That's right, S.A. La Raza shows up with a fucking alien. Two of them, in fact. Because <laughs> that's how Mexicans roll, bitch. And they show up, they fucking uh, talk about your spooky uh, military stories. Like, we're going to be impressed by that. You, We brought bodies. And Mexicans have a history with UFOs that include mass sightings of over 10,000 people at a time for decades. With, with the capital of Mexico, Mexico City, being completely covered in fleets of UFOs during such events like solar eclipses and shit. While it recorded on national TV. Or the Guadalajara 2004 UFO fleet incident, which thousands of unidentified flying objects were recorded on video and seen by tens of thousands of eyewitnesses in a major city in Guadalajara. Fuck Ryan Graves. You peon. And exactly why. It paid a military fucking asset, a glow nigger, if I've ever seen a glow nigger glow. And this fucking guy wants to keep the, the basis of uh, discussion centered on military Freemason pilots and their breadcrumb disclosure drip feed of, oh, did a pilot see a UFO during this fucking flight? Or, oh, we should always just listen to pilots and let, let's suck pilot dick all fucking day. Lick some boots and shit like that. That's fucking what they want you to think. It's just, it's all military or nothing. And anyone not in the military is not worth listening to. Fuck him. Fuck him and his titted man-boobed ass. This isn't the only time... Oh, and guess what? Uh, all those other assholes, Zignal, uh, uh, alien scientists, all those fucking assholes, were saying how amateurish it was. Fuck you. You didn't do shit. You've never done shit. You will never do shit. You will never present evidence. You're not a fucking real researcher. You're a critic. You're a sports commentator. Asshole level like a fucking radio disc jockey who just talks shit when other people do things. You limey faggot fuck. As you can tell, I was getting kind of riled up and I needed this to kind of get it off my chest. The reason why I care so much is because they control UFO Twitter. Hashtag UFO Twitter. Hashtag UFO X. And over the last, like, year, I was, like, getting into Twitter and just kind of like, oh, Elon Musk bought it. I guess it'll be different, right? And I got into it and I started learning about this. And this shit has been sticking like a thorn in my fucking foot. Because it's just like, how in 2023 does no one see this bullshit? Like, the PSYOP is just so evident. That the entire discussion on UFO Twitter is controlled by a handful of bought and paid for fucking shills from the English speaking world who are so retarded they couldn't even find a UFO if one was up their ass. If an alien was probing their dick holes, 
they'd wait for NASA to tell them it happened. And that's another thing. They want NASA to go down there and test it, right? Because the Mexicans did a test. They did a test in a Mexican hospital in Mexico. Uh, <laughs> in Mexico, right? It's not a Mexican hospital. It's just a Mexican hospital in Mexico. Right? I'm, not being racist, I'm not being racist about the Mexican comments. No, yeah, don't. <laughs> Let's go out and work like Mexicans. It's good. It's not being racist. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, why would I care about that? I just think it's funny. It's a... Uh, it's, um, It's a party down joke, if you guys remember that show. I gotta calm down. Party down joke. I was laughing. A fucking hilarious show. Um, but yeah, uh, the the Mexicans tested it. The Mexican authorities, a naval officer, a naval o- medical officer of Mexico, uh, the hospital staff attendant, and another hospital, uh, the person who actually runs the hospital where the equipment was found. People who are not under the quote-unquote payroll of Jaime Masson, people who are not quote-unquote attached to it just because they speak Spanish and were actually supportive of the fact that the Mexican government, the actual federal, federale government of Mexico said, yes, we want this studied. This was a like pretty good, you know, like presentation. We we are sincerely interested in this, right? It was because of that that they tested it. It was because of that and the national interest and the fact that this was official government business in Mexico. Who? Well, that's an independent nation, by the way, and a first world nation at that, a North American nation at that. And that these people, who are professionals, and this is their career to run this equipment, not study aliens, not study UFOs, by the way, study actual medical equipment, concluded that these were real, not forgeries, not hoaxes, not taxidermied bodies, not uh, models, not paper mache, not a cake, not any of that bullshit. These are real, actual, biological bodies that were mummified and featuring anatomically uh, relevant and legitimate skeletons. There was no entry marks, no sew, no scissors, no bolts, no screws, nothing, no glue. These were real. And it wasn't an alpaca skull that was deformed with a hammer and wrapped in uh, paper mache. And it wasn't the finger bones were off and weird. There have been faked forgery photos going around that people are showing. But these are just two representatives of over eight bodies. Eight bodies that have been brought forth, that have been discovered since 2017. Testing was done when they were first discovered in Peru in 2017. And the mass media took a big shit on it then too. And the English-speaking world is what I'm talking about. The mass media took such a shit on the 2017 asked uh, the Peruvian mummies that no one even realized that there were eight of them, including human-sized ones. Let alone the little ones. And that's when the bullshit about the llama skulls started. Because that's what the government of Peru said it was, despite the fact that scientists had proven them real. So a Peruvian government cover-up in such a ridiculous fashion as to name it a simple forgery, despite the CAT scans, despite the x-rays, despite the actual experts studying it and saying it's a real mummy, not a forgery, a real mummy. 
just not a real human mummy. And them to say, well, it's a llama skull, a baby llama skull hit with a hammer, and you wrapped it in paper mache. Uh, we saw that one, and they said one looked like that. Remember, there are eight of them, some of which are the size of human beings. The larger ones are even more obviously extraterrestrial than the smaller ones. The smaller ones were brought simply because they could be transported easily through international customs and traffic. A fact that when the Peruvians discovered and found out through the presentation that the Jaime Massan had these two mummies has even claimed that they were stolen and should never have been taken out of Peru without government permission, which would help explain why the only the littlest ones were taken, because they were basically stolen, Mexican-style, from the Peruvian archaeological archives. Now that we've established the fact that they have been legitimized twice in two different nations, by the way, we can't get past the fact that now the uh, Anglosphere, the mainstream media, and the, these fake-ass fucking ufologists are now demanding, after two conclusive tests that have proven them real, a third test by an English-speaking NASA scientist, despite the fact that NASA faked the moon landing six fucking times, faked the Apollo mission six fucking times. Worse every time, by the way. More obvious every time how fake shit they was. Uh, has never been able to get back to the moon, can't reproduce 1968 technology, and um, continuously fails to meet all of its agendas, uh, taking almost 30 years to launch a fucking satellite, the James Webb Telescope, to replace the Hubble, which was broken when they made it the first time. Um, despite all of that, they still believe NASA, this is how you know they're fucking dumb, the Dark Age, they still need Daddy Nassau, the Hebrew word for deception, to uh, fucking go to Mexico and do some other American tests and have a white man do the test because white men don't lie like, like these dirty fucking spicks do. And then they, they're going to fucking get this test and then the guy's just going to say, no, it's not an alien. I tested it. It's not an alien. See, this, this is, proves it's not an alien. And they're going to be like, see, the NASA guy said it's not an alien. The NASA guy said it's not an alien. See, now we're never going to talk about it again. And this is all bullshit because we can never listen to the NASA guy said Mexicans are liars. NASA guy said that. NASA guy said this. And this is the dark age we live in. Because just like how in the dark age, the priest, the Catholic priest or the bishop or, the, or whatever the fucking douchebag it was in charge at the time, the witch hunter or whatever, said something. And the fucking villagers just started repeating it like fucking sheep. And it had no basis in right and wrong. It had only the priority to keep power in the hands of the corrupt. Remember, that's what defines a dark age. When leadership is absolutely corrupt, it does not operate on good and evil, it does not operate on right and wrong, it does not operate on progress, it operates on simply maintaining its power through the ignorance and the crushing oppression of intellectual freedom. It, it says, you do not need to know how to read, I will read the books for you. You just go have fun. Just go live your lives. 
I will do the science and I will tell you the scientific truth. You just have to learn what I accomplish. I will take the burden of knowledge. You go forth and repeat and multiply my little sheep, my flocks. And you stop becoming a human. You stop becoming your own hero. You stop thinking for yourself. If you follow any of these assholes, like they have stopped thinking for themselves. Like they have stopped reading between the lines. Like they have stopped fighting for the truth. And yet demand their oppressors to oppress them further. They demand the truth be hidden harder. I guess is that the word? Hidden harder? I don't know, hidden hidden more fully. They demand more skepticism. They demand um, to move the goalposts even further whenever whenever they, they are they're reached by, by evidence. They demand to ignore even more mountains of evidence. They demand to proclaim their ignorance the loudest because it's the funniest. And that's what gets them likes and hits and all that stuff. So Peru, Peru has a history of UFOs. Not only UFO sightings in the Atacama Desert. I mean, it's just fucking crazy how many UFO sightings they have. They have a history with alien mummies. They have a history in the ufology world as producing the best hard evidence of biological hybridization or existence on Earth in ancient worlds by extraterrestrials. Physically, the evidence is there. The Paracas skulls in Peru were discovered in the 1970s, as were the Nazca lines. Both of which have been unexplained, only, only struggled with. Only struggled with by modern science and archaeology. There's only been hypothesis. Nothing has ever been proven. Nothing, is, nothing can ever be proven because these societies are completely ancient. Having no connection to the modern world. We don't know who built the Nazca Lines. We don't know who created the Paracas skulls. We can assume it was a culture that was into binding their skulls or whatever, but that's not a real answer. That's not the truth. That's a speculation. And it can only be concluded when you ignore the DNA evidence that has been established that the people of Paracas were most likely the people who built the Nazca Lines. And they most likely are extraterrestrial hybrids as a species for they have mitochondria that is not common in any primate, mammal, or human being. Has been proven in genetic testing. These Paracas skulls have red or blonde hair when they're found mummified. Their skulls are two to three times as tall as a normal human being's skull cap. Meaning that the internal volume for the brain is two to three times as large as a modern human being's. This is an effect that cannot be achieved through simple skull binding 
or boarding, uh, flattening of the skull, shaping of the skull through birth into adulthood. It is impossible to increase the volume of a skull, especially since no evidence is found that showed decreasing of the skull volume as you would find in the shrinking and shaping of a finite area. Some things would be smaller, especially it would be pointed as it goes to the tip. It's not necessarily the case. A lot of these are bulbous shaped with, with a unique skull suture shape. In fact, the most famous skull of the Paracas skulls, and there are many famous of these skulls, right? These, these skulls are legendary by anyone who studied Nephilim or hybridization or fallen angels or monolithic builders or ancient civilizations without getting into extraterrestrials. When you get into extraterrestrials, they are proof that there was a hybridization program, that the Star Brothers literally mingled into and were accepted as as integral parts in society, that these beings had gigantic, disproportionately large heads, but humanoid bodies just like the Greys or just like the uh, Astro High Command, uh, the Pleiadians, are inferred to have. But this skull that is the most famous of this skull is the Star Child skull. And the Star Child skull was found by a extremely influential and adept researcher into hominids, DNA, uh, skeletal structures, all of it included, as well as a master presenter of information and a diehard warrior of the truth, Lloyd Pye, Dr. Lloyd Pye. And Lloyd Pye championed the star child skull as evidence of extraterrestrial life on Earth or extraterrestrial human hybridization based on the keyest points of physical anatomy that were rock-solid, ironclad arguments that for 20 years, or for nearly 20 years, for I believe it was 13 years before his death, actually, he presented this, he raised funds to get its DNA tested, he he did interviews, he did circuits, he carried it, spoke with it, he gave up samples to be uh, tested, to have pieces cut up from it, uh, presented it to plastic surgeons, presented it to uh, you know specialists when it comes to facial reconstruction, etc., to get them to reconstruct and model this thing, to see how it would look like if it was alive. Did everything you could possibly do to, to help spread the word and evangelize the case for this skull and its implications to change our understanding both of history and human humanity. And he did. He did. He internationally went around the world. He did nothing short of what was all of his potential impossible, right? And now in 2023, 10 years after Lloyd Pye's unfortunate passing from fast-acting cancer, which I believe he was killed. I believe he was murdered for this effort. It has fallen into obscurity. It has fallen into obscurity to the point that it's not even brought up in the greater conversation about aliens found in Peru. These aliens have been presented in Mexico, Peru, and not one person, not one channel, not one um, podcast has presented the star child skull as credible 
context, as, as credible history to make sense of this and to understand it. No one's even brought it up. You would think it would never be forgotten. You'd think it would be the most relevant thing in discussion and ufology, especially right now when any news comes out about mummies or Peruvian hybrids or extraterrestrial existence or any kind of hard data, right? That's necessary. You'd be like, Star Child Skull, Lloyd Pye did all this work. They genetically tested it. They found it had 56 chromosomes instead of the typical 26 to 29 or that normal animals have the haploids and that this 56 towers over these other beings. So it must not have been anything like any other mammal that are, or frog or any like genetic reptilian that anything on earth, anything at all. Its facial features were completely unlike the designs of any primates. The way its bone structure, its bone density, the skull cap, the number of plates in the skull cap itself were numerically different than any known human being. And this is all documented. This is all, there's documentaries covering every single step of this process. There's interviews covering the entire process. This happened during the time of YouTube. This happened during the time of the internet. This happened during the time of, of ufology conferences, etc. Just go do the homework. You'll find hours and hours. And I presented, I presented uh, the case for the Paracas skulls uh, and the DNA uh, hybridization there. I present the uh, Lloyd Pye. I present three videos from Lloyd Pye. I present uh, where he's talking about the introduction of the skull, where he's talking about skeptics. And, uh, you know, to play devil's advocate, talking about their skeptical points and how he has invalidated each one and has proven it against each one, uh, including all the, 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 you know, all of them, right? Basically, he gets that out, airs it out, talks about it, proves that Star Child Skull uh, defies criticism, defies conventional criticism, right? And stands as its own defense. Truth is its own defense. And then introduces the greater concepts of its discovery and the implications therein of its anatomy. Right? It really does explain the anatomy. Like in great detail. So you can listen to it after this presentation. Now, there are many other ones too. There are many other discoveries in this area. When it comes to extraterrestrials and extraterrestrial hybrids. As well as recently, the news that in Peru, extraterrestrials were attacking and terrorizing villagers who lived in the jungles. The history of this land of Peru is the history of extraterrestrial contact on Earth. And if the English-speaking world would just pull its head out of its ass for fucking five seconds long enough to wash their hair and fucking smell the roses, you know, read the writing on the wall, that they would see that the center of gravity in discussions of hard evidence that what the Western scientific world is demanding as its standard of what truth that it calls science and scientific reality or whatever, uh, the ironclad laboratory stamp of approval, right, for the Freemasonic material atheists out there, 
and their zealot army of fucking brain-dead zombies who just repeat what anything with a PhD or fucking uh, NASA on their resume has to say without doing any research themselves, without doing any lab tests themselves, without with a true idea of skepticism, right, of testing it yourself, of being able to reproduce it yourself and find out for yourself uh, what's right and wrong, not follow other people, even scientists, even, even people who are doctors, etc., their advice, because you're a skeptic, you know, you're a cynic, you're someone who doesn't listen to others, no matter who they are, unless you can prove it, it doesn't, you know, whatever. But these people don't even prove it themselves. They do zero science. They do zero fundraising. They do zero hands-on research. They don't go to museums and see these things themselves. They don't have educations in high-ranking or relevant degrees in science. Uh, for example, they think a physics degree or a doctorate in physics is science and that it gives them the right way to discuss biology or history or, um, you know, it's like anything like that, like on a DNA level or on a uh, historical context level for a creation of mummies. So you'll have people who have quote-unquote like physics degrees or some shit acting like, yeah, they're, they're, biolog they're, they're anatomical biologists and that they can prove, that they know for a fact that it's a llama skull and that the fingers are uh, mismatched and that the joints would never work and that anything like et cetera, et cetera. Let alone that's a 900-year-old corpse of an extraterrestrial. Like not even, this, just ignoring that and dumping their fucking chests like dumb gorillas because the marching orders given to them by their masters and the Freemasonic Illuminati-type controlled and NWO bullshit world of mainstream media and academia is ignore all real evidence, slander, gossip, throw mud, talk shit, ad hominem attacks, etc. are just blatantly ignore if you can't intimidate. If you can't intimidate in a group mass attack of fucking shit posting on comment sections, etc., just ignore mountains of evidence. Go back to reaffirming your safe talking points and trying to debunk the otherwise mainstream provided English speaking world clowns like Bob Lazar, etc. And just back off and hope people forget because in five to ten years, they can't, the population can forget, especially in these dark age times we live in, especially in this era of absolute mora, uh, the Confederacy of morons that basically control the English-speaking mass media in the world of ufology all the way down to shit posters, shills, internet trolls, etc. The world of 10 years is a fucking lifetime. People, people just either disengage and stop caring entirely or they just die. Literally, they just go away and they just never come back for whatever reason. And so, yeah, in 10 years, in 2033... We won't even remember that the Peruvian extraterrestrials, mummies, were proven to be real in Mexico. We will be so obsessed with the repetition of Dark Age talking points that literally the 
only person that will have been recognized as ever seeing a UFO in history will be Bob Lazar or some bullshit like that. A dystopian future. Well, the only person who has ever been abducted by aliens is Betty and Barney Hill. And the only person to ever see a UFO on record is Bob Lazar. Even though that's clearly not the case, the thousands of real cases I'm saying are going to be ignored intentionally obscured and eventually accepted in this dystopian dark age time as nothing but heresies and like uh you know punishable by complete exile that if you posted anything about anyone else's experiences or any evidence real photographs real cases say you posted the actual alien autopsy film right online they would ban you uh and block you because you're pushing clearly fake evidence. If, if there's any evidence at all, this must be fake. Oh, yes, this, this has been debunked. Debunked by NASA. Don't you know NASA said it was fake? And we only listen to our official government-appointed federal big brother NASA UFO council or whatever the fuck. And anything they say goes and anything they don't agree with is absolutely denied by their foot soldiers who pretend they're fucking educated and smart, but have to be some of the dumbest motherfuckers to ever crawl out of the goddamn cesspool that is the internet. And at that point, it just goes to show that if you really want the truth about Peruvian extraterrestrials, if you want the truth about that shit, you gotta elevate yourself. You gotta elevate yourself away from the fucking riffraff of bullshit gossip artists that call themselves researchers. You gotta fucking do your own homework and you gotta have an open mind that really wants to get to the truth. Because if you start denying shit to yourself because you simply cannot believe it or you are not ready for it, you will never ever reach a satisfactory advanced le- advancement of your level of knowledge or reach any progress towards uh, the greater framework of what's really going on. And you're going to be so left behind the times, you're basically a caveman trying to make fire out of two fucking sticks while we're actually, you know, cooking with gas, having our full-on fucking uh, bonfires and, and really enjoying our, our blacksmithing at this point really creating something, a world around us that we can be proud of, you know, as you are constantly praying to the fire gods to give you spark from heaven, you know, this divine inspiration, this NASA, like, oh, we want disclosure, hopefully our Promethean fire gods and NASA give us some information because it's been years before, you know, since then, hopefully we'll commit more human sacrifices by throwing people under the bus and canceling people for not being uh, PC or whatever. Oh, no one should have any political opinion when it comes to ufology because the two don't mix. Oh, you know, stuff like that. This dark age of retardation. That's why I'm learning Spanish. That's why I'm going to learn uh, French and enter, or Italian and enter international ufology discussions and leave you fucking monkeys behind. Now, let me read when this uh, history of the 2017 Peruvian mummy case so that you guys know the context of where these mummies are coming from that Jaime Masson presented. You know, don't just take my word on it, you know. That was an opinion piece, yeah, for sure. 
But here's the actual facts. The timeline. The Alien Mummies from Peru. A chronology of searches and research. Alien Mummies from Peru. A chronology of searches and research. From 2023. It begins... At the end of 2015. This is the story of discovery of amazing artifacts from the Republic of Peru, including the mummies of extraterrestrial beings, as published. The story is itself amazing and shows us that the dedication of scientists in Peru has allowed the world to gain this amazing evidence of existence of alien civilizations. The timeline was reconstructed in Ankara Cusco Institute as part of the Alien Project. At the end of 2015 is when it began. It was at the end of 2015 that a burial site was discovered at Nazca Pulpa area of Peru. Unfortunately, the discoverers were the grave robbers, locally named Huaqueros. October and November 2016. The first meeting took place at the Institute of the Ankara Cusco at certain Luis Quispe under the pseudonym Paul R., who helped establish contact with the grave robbers. Several meetings between Thierry Gemon, Jose Casafrancas Montes, and Paul revealed more about the Huacara's findings and the circumstances surrounding the discovery of the mysterious place. At the same time, the team of the Ankara Cusco Institute took the opportunity to study biological material provided by Paul. On January 10, 2017, Tyree Hamon sent a letter to the Peruvian Ministry of Culture, translated into English, to report what has happened and asked for immediate government intervention to avoid the loss of artifacts and possible destruction of archaeological sites at the Nazca area. January 2017, Thierry Jamon and his team traveled to the area of the finds in the Nazca desert to identify those huaqueros who were excavating the burial of interest. End of January 2017, Terry Jamon, Jose Casafrancas Montes, and Edward Valenzuela Gill of the Instituto Incari Cusco met for the first time the Waqueros under the pseudonym Mario at a motel in La Paz, Bolivia. As a result, the first biological object at 38 centimeters long was obtained. The team also managed to obtain and study several carved stones similar to UFOs found in the first sarcophagus. On February 2017, they recovered two little gray mummified heads, as well as three mummified hands with three fingers. First analysis and x-rays were done thanks to Dr. Edson Salazar Vivanco. Diary Jaman and Alan Bonnet launched a fundraising process on the Uliao crowdfunding platform to fund DNA analysis and radiocarbon analysis of discovered biological objects. The estimated budget is 29,000 pounds. Or euros. Sorry, 29,000 euros. On March 12, 2017, the collection of money has stopped. 800 contributors, mainly from France, raised 136% the original planned project, which amounted to 39,510 euros. On March 13, 
2017, the Incarit Cusco Institute began to study the little gray mummies, quickly named Alberto by internet users. An x-ray of this biological object was made public. The Incari Institute of Cusco began researching on a second mummified body of the little gray type, named by Terry Jaman as Josephine. Also, four brains and several objects made of metal, stone, and bone were examined. On April 3, 2017, samples of various mummified bodies were taken and sent to several laboratories located in different countries. On the 23rd of April 2017, the first visit to Cusco of Mexican journalist Jaime Massan, who represented two American TV channels, as well as the chief physician of the Mexican Navy, Dr. Jose, or Dr. Jose Jesus Zalque Benitez, Mexican biologist Dr. Jose de la Cruz, Jose de la Cruz Cruz, Rios Lopez, and Doctor of Medical Sciences Konstantin G. Korotkov. Deputy Director of the St. Petersburg Scientific Research Institute of the Physical Culture and Professor of the St. Petersburg State University of Information Technologies, Mechanics, and Optics. The Professor of Holos University in Australia was also present. On April 25th of 2017, Shami Masan, operators of two American TV channels together with Terry Jaman and one team went to the area of the Nazca Popa finds to meet with the leader of the Huacaros under the pseudonym Mario. He revealed to the team an amazing biological entity of a hybrid type, which Terry Jamin and his group later nicknamed Maria. The team succeeded in convincing Mario to lend them to Maria to perform the first clinical analysis of the relic, as well as to obtain x-rays and CT scans. On May 2, 2017, the x-rays were taken of Maria and Josephine in the presence of Jaime Massan's team and cameraman from two North American TV channels. The examination revealed three objects in the stomach of Josephine, which were previously identified as eggs. On May 9, 2017, the first scanning of the objects Josephine, Alberto, and Maria were carried out using computed tomography, a.k.a. CAT scans. On May 19 to the 20th in 2017, a team of the Incari Institute of Cusco has began to study a new biological object called the Little Gray, nicknamed Victoria. Jaime Massan returned to Cusco with his U.S. film crew. On July 9, 2017, research began on a miniature hybrid body named after the ancient Andean language Wawita. July 11, 2017, the Incari Cusco Institute, together with the American private TV channel Gaia, Mexican journalist Jamie Massan, and Peruvian journalist Jose Mantilla organized the first press conference in Lima, Peru to present the first laboratory findings x rays, CAT scans, DNA, age, etc on the studied objects and published the first conclusions of scientists who work directly with biological material. These findings can be summarized in three points. This is truly biological material. Every specimen was biological. This stuff is ancient, older than the Incan societies. And no evidence of gross external fraud has yet been found on any of the eight specimens. Repeat, 
No evidence of external fraud has yet been found on any of the eight specimens. On the 4th of August 2017, Terry Chaman's team was able to study three new samples of little gray mummies named the family. X-rays were taken of these three new biological objects. October-November 2017, Thierry Germain and Alan Bonnet toured France to meet with Alien Project members and give lectures to big cities. These cities were October 7th in Solat, October 12th in Toulouse, October 19th in Perpignan, October 12th in the Col de Vince, October 21th in Nancy, October 24th in Lyon, October 25th in Lille. October 26th in Paris, October 27th in Tours, and the 4th of November in Angoulême. On November 25th in 2017, the team of the Inkari Institute managed to obtain and study a new specimen of the little gray type, as well as two new mummified heads of the same type and a 38-centimeter-long, three-fingered hand. X-rays of the new biological material were discovered with Dr. Edson Salazar, End of December 2017. Analysis of DNA, age of samples, etc. continued. In parallel, the analysis of non-biological objects from the place of discovery was carried out. On January 28, 2018, for the first time, the finds in Peru reported on the French national TV channel as part of the 66 Minutes program, which is broadcast on France every Sunday, and it's like the 60 Minutes program in the United States in levels of respectability. So we're talking mainstream media in France. The M6 channel presented the facts fairly objectively, allowing Terry Jimon and those who are in Peru to doubt the authenticity of the findings to speak out. At the end of the message, the results of the analysis were given, and it's indicated that the research was still ongoing, but the tests were positive. On March 2018, the first issue of the Acaris magazine in France was published which featured a long article about Nazca mummies. On July 11, 2018, a bill by Congressman Armando Villanueva Mercado has been published declaring historical and cultural interest in the study of Nazca's humanoid mummies. A scan of the original document can be downloaded here. It has a link. On August 7, 2018, eight high-definition quality CAT scans of the mummies Maria, Josephine, and Vavita were obtained and publicly available. On November 19, 2018, the results of the analysis were presented at the Congress of the Republic of Peru under the auspices of Congressman Armando Villanueva Mercado. The event was attended by Thierry Chaman and a number of prominent scientists. Ramindo Salas Alfaro, radiologist, Cusco, Peru. Jose de la Cruz Rios Lopez, biologist, Campeche, Mexico. Jose de Jesus Zalque Benitez, forensic doctor, Mexico. Dmitry Vladislavovich Galatsky, first St. Petersburg State Medical University. Salvador Angel Romero Abraxas is a geneticist at UNAM National Autonomous University of Mexico. Claris Ines Martinez, expert from the Institute for Genetic Research. Manuel Angel Caceres and Salvador Angel Romero Martinez. On December 2018, an article in French has been published in the results announced at the conference on November 19, 2018 by Icarus Magazine. 
featuring high-definition scans of the medical procedures. Translated for English by Pieter Prishapin in May 2019, the information became public in the Russian-speaking space as well. The first publications appeared in the Russian media. Unfortunately, the main emphasis on these publications was on the conspiracy and disclosure of forgery of objects. We hope the publication of complete data, including the results of scientific research, will help to reverse the trend of skepticism and give a more sober assessment of what is happening. We also recommend reading the article, Humanoid Reptile, a detailed analysis of alien mummies found on the Nazca Plateau. And now I can add to that by 2023, these Nazca mummies have been presented as evidence of extraterrestrial life and hybridization on the Congress of Mexico and have received as much skepticism as they did in these previous publications and far less of a warm, open-minded welcome than they received to the French, but have been tested and a renewed vigor and spotlight on mainstream media and proven to be authentic once again. This time by a separate, neutral, unconnected Spanish-speaking nation. And that is the chronology of these Peruvian mummies that I 100% believe are the smoking gun evidence of extraterrestrial existence and hybridization of the human species in the ancient world. As well as just proof that they exist. As well as just proof of extraterrestrials in general. As, as in general, let alone the ancient world alone hypothesis, but the proof that extraterrestrials exist. That they have physical evidence left behind in the form of corpses in scientific hard data uh, mummies in this case. There's nothing more smoking gun than this. 100% hard data, scientific evidence of extraterrestrials located consistently in Peru. Now when I peace out, I'm going to leave you guys with the presentations and audio based on the Paracas conehead skulls, which are found in large quantities, have been scientifically tested as well and found to have extraterrestrial mitochondrial or non-Earth non-mammalian mitochondrial evidence inside their genotes, as well as um, the Lloyd Pye star child skull and some of the audio based on the hard data research and, um, and material at the, the actual points that were discovered with that skull and made uh, through them. So yeah, thank you all very much. 100% in joining me today. Stick around. You got that audio to listen to. Uh, contribute financially. Donate tip through Cash App. Real independent media. All it takes is a dollar, uh, $5, $10, whatever you have burning a hole in your pocket to keep independent media like this alive, to keep ufology alive and, and, and thriving in the United States against the oppressors, the dark age um, cynics and the shill skeptics together we could win as long as everyone would donate that one dollar uh we would have more than enough funding to go toe-to-toe -to -toe producing real-length documentaries hosting 
um, you know, triple A quality uh, podcasts with visual components streaming on on um, streaming sites as well, and we can compete with the big shills and uh, beat them at their own game. But it's going to require uh, some financial assistance. It's going to consi- uh, take that, you know, monthly. It's going to take that regularly. So if you've got a dollar, you can contribute. You know, make sure to do so once a month. Donate that dollar. Um, kicked off a of Patreon. I want to set up Patreon. It's the same system on Patreon. I just want to set it up. But uh, at the same time, I've been kicked off it twice. Kicked off it twice, and they both times were extremism. Both times were. Uh, tracing my email and stuff like that. They understand that's beyond top secret text and podcasts. It's something that's a no-go zone for them. It's completely shadow banned by the Freemasons, etc. Because I tell the truth, only the, the truth, nothing but the truth. And um, the truth's shocking. The truth is ugly, but the truth more so is inspiring. And the truth is beautiful. And the truth is liberating. And they don't want that. They rather be able to support the bullshit rather than support even for a day someone who um, seeks only the education and enlightenment of uh, the fellow men on earth regardless of your nation of origin regardless of your genetics regardless of your creed or your belief system because knowledge is power follow on social media you know x is at beyond top secret or x is at top secret texan all of it's in the link description below uh, link tree slash beyond top secret texan take out pod page you know, dot com slash beyond top secret takes it for the website. God bless you and your families. Peace out. The elongated skulls of Paracas in Peru caused a stir in 2014 when a geneticist that carried out preliminary DNA testing reported that they have mitochondrial DNA with mutations unknown in any human, primate, or animal known so far. Now a second round of DNA testing has been completed and the results are just as controversial the skulls tested, which date back as far as 2000 years, were shown to have European and Middle Eastern origin. These surprising results change the known history about how the Americas were populated. Paracas is a desert peninsula located within Pisco province on the south coast of Peru. It is here where Peruvian archaeologist, Julio Tello, made an amazing discovery in 1928 a massive and elaborate graveyard containing tombs filled with the remains of individuals with the largest elongated skulls found anywhere in the world. Strange features of the Paracas skulls. It is well known that most cases of skull elongation are the result of cranial deformation, head flattening, or head binding, in which the skull is intentionally deformed by applying force over a long period of time. It is usually achieved by binding the head between two pieces of wood, or binding in cloth. However, while cranial deformation changes the shape of the skull, it does not alter other features that are characteristic of a regular human skull. In a recent interview with Ancient Origins, author and researcher L.A. Marzoli describes how some of the Paracas skulls are different to ordinary human skulls. There is a possibility that it might have been cradle headboard, but the reason why I don't think so is because the position of the foramen magnum is back towards the rear of the skull. A normal foramen magnum would be closer to the jawline. Marzoli explained that an archaeologist has written a paper about his study of the position of the foramen magnum in over 1,000 skulls. 
He states that the Caracas skulls, the position of the foramen magnum is completely different than a normal human being. It is also smaller, which lends itself to our theory that this is not cradle headboarding, this is genetic. In addition, Marzoli described how some of the Caracas skulls have a very pronounced zygomatic arch, cheekbone, different eye sockets and no sagittal suture, which is a connective tissue joint between the two parietal bones of the skull. In a normal human skull, there should be a suture which goes from the frontal plate, clear over the dome of the skull separating the parietal plates, the two separate plates and connecting with the occipital plate in the rear, said Marzoli. We see many skulls in Paracas that are completely devoid of a sagittal suture. There is a disease known as craniosynostosis, which results in the fusing together of the two parietal plates, however, Marzoli said there is no evidence of this disease in the Paracas skulls. DNA testing. The late senior, Juan Navarro, owner and director of the Museo Archeologico Paracas, which houses a collection of 35 of the Paracas skulls, allowed the taking of samples from three of the elongated skulls for DNA testing, including one infant. Another sample was obtained from a Peruvian skull that had been in the U.S. for 75 years. One of the skulls was dated to around 2,000 years old, while another was 800 years old. The samples consisted of hair and bone powder, which was extracted by drilling deeply into the foramen magnum. This process, Marzoli explained, is to reduce the risk of contamination. In addition, full protective clothing was worn. The samples were then sent to three separate labs for testing one in Canada, and two in the United States. The geneticists were only told that the samples came from an ancient mummy, so as not to create any preconceived ideas. Surprising results. From the samples, only the mitochondrial DNA, DNA from the mother's side, could be extracted. Out of four hair samples, one of them couldn't be sequences. The remaining three hair samples all showed a Hapla group, genetic population group, of H2A, which is found most frequently in Eastern Europe, and at a low frequency in Western Europe. The bone powder from the most elongated skull tested came back as T2B, which originates in Mesopotamia and what is now Syria, essentially the heart of the Fertile Crescent. It rewrites history as we know it, said Marzoli. If these results hold, writes Brian Forster on his website Hidden Inca Tours, the history of the migration of people to the Americas is far more complex than we have been told previously. If these results are confirmed through further tests, it means that peoples from Europe and the Middle East migrated to the Americas long before it is conventionally believed. Marzoli said that mainstream academics will probably attack these results by pointing to the fact that he is not a scientist, but he urges any skeptic to replicate the study. Attack the evidence folks. Go down and get your own samples, pay for a DNA lab and then come back to me with your science, do some science like we've done, he said. The full lab reports of the DNA tests are available in L.A. Marzoli's book Nephilim Hybrids. The results are also consistent with the fact that many of the Paracas skulls still contain traces of red hair, a color that is not natively found in South America, but originates in the Middle East and Europe. No academics as far as we can tell can explain why some of the skulls that still have hair are red or even blonde, writes Brian Forster. The idea that this is from time or bleaching has now been disproven by two hair experts. For the ancient Paracas people, at least, 
they had blonde to reddish hair that is 30% thinner than Native American hair. It is genetic. Extraterrestrial hypothesis. Due to the unusual shape and features of the Paracas skulls, there has long been speculation that they are extraterrestrial in origin, and many have hoped that DNA testing would prove that to be the case. As regards an alien component or ancestry to the skulls, we may never know, writes Brian Forster. The DNA testing programs can only compare sample DNA with those that are known, and those are held in a huge database called Gentech in the U.S. Further testing with cooperation from Peruvian archaeologists and the Ministry of Culture are now ongoing. Nevertheless, L.A. Marzoli explained that the DNA results fit perfectly with the hypothesis he has held since before any testing was undertaken. That is that the Paracas people are the Nephilim. The Nephilim, according to ancient biblical texts, are the offspring of the fallen angels and the women of Earth, resulting in a hybrid entity, and they said to be based in the area of the Levant, the same place that the Paracas DNA traces to. Whether or not this hypothesis is correct, the results of the DNA tests are dramatic and history-changing and further testing may help to unravel the complex history of the Paracas people. Next Steps L.A. Marzoli and colleagues have plans for further testing and are currently working with Peruvian and American archaeologists. They have verbal permission from the head archaeologist of a Peruvian museum to take more samples. These will then be presented to the Ministry of Culture for final consent before the samples are taken to U.S. labs for testing. This process is expected to take at least a couple of years to complete. Hi, I'm Lloyd Pye. For the past 13 years, I've worked with doctors, geneticists, and other scientific experts trying to solve one of the world's great mysteries. The Stornchild skull is an actual bone skull that has virtually nothing in common with a human skull. Our goal has been to answer two astonishing questions about it. What on earth is the Stornchild skull? Is it even from Earth? Our answers are in two related videos. In this one, I'll discuss answers from anonymous internet trolls, supercilious Wikipedia editors, and even a few misguided experts, all of whom suggest several conditions they believe could cause a human skull to be extensively malformed into the star child. Each of their explanations has been discounted by numerous experts who, unlike internet critics, have personally examined the star child skull. Indeed, this video presents compelling evidence against their weak attempts to explain away the star child's dozens of unique physical and genetic traits. This is so easy to understand, even the proverbial caveman can do it. First, some background. The star child skull was discovered in 1930 in a mine tunnel in the Copper Canyon region of northwest Mexico. It was found with a human female skull we used for comparison. Carbon-14 testing has revealed that both died about 900 years ago. The Starchild skull is so extensively different from a normal human skull, both physically and genetically, that it must at least be considered a new species and potentially even an extraterrestrial alien. Such a radical challenge to current scientific dogma will surely set mainstream hair on fire. However, in the two videos I mentioned, we do present the extraordinary proof they demand. This video discusses their most persistent criticisms of the Starchild skull, and you can decide if they're well-founded. First up is the mainstream's default explanation that genetic variations can create any combination of defects or deformities. In other words, anything is possible, which technically is true. 
However, what they fail to mention is that extensive genetic variations are always fatal shortly after conception. From partial recoveries of the star child's DNA, we already know its genome contains vastly more genetic variations than any human could conceivably survive. Therefore, anything is not possible. Apart from the mainstream's erroneous default explanation for the star child's wide array of physical and genetic differences, the three they suggest most often are cradle boarding, hydrocephaly, and progeria. Cradle boarding was a widespread practice in primitive cultures around the world. Infants would be swaddled and strapped onto a board carried on their mother's back. The infant's head was kept immobile to protect its weak neck while mom did her work. Resting against the board gradually deformed the skull's soft bones until the rear was as flat as the board. The human female found with the star child exemplifies cradle boarding. Her skull's rear is bored flat from its upper crown to just above the inion, the knob of bone at the lower rear of every human's head, where neck muscles attach to the skull. In contrast, the star child skull has no inion, and it has a much larger area of flattening. However, that flattening is not artificial, because all of the bone's natural convolutions are clearly visible. In addition, if the star child had ever been cradleboarded, the angle of downward tilt would be so extreme it would choke to death in a matter of minutes, rather than dying as an adult, which it did. Therefore, natural convolutions plus no death in infancy equals the star child was not cradleboarded. This equation is so clear and simple a caveman can understand it. Dr. Ted Robinson, a certified cranial expert, is on record as understanding it. Yet anonymous bloggers, internet trolls, and Wikipedia editors can't quite wrap their melon heads around it. The mainstream's second knee-jerk explanation is that the bulging parietal bones at the sides of the star child's head must be caused by hydrocephaly, a condition that causes a skull to expand like a balloon due to excess spinal fluid collecting in or around the brain. The first places to expand are the suture lines, the disconnected edges of the bone plates that normally close in the first two years of life to fit together like puzzle pieces. The star child suture lines are joined normally with no sign of outward expansion, which by itself rules out hydrocephaly. However, notice the crease where a three-way suture junction actually dips inward. Try blowing up a balloon while leaving a crease on its surface. You can't do it, and neither could it occur in the star child skull. Again, no hydrocephaly. This is the inner area of the suture junction under discussion. For a skull crease to form at this junction, the whole area would have to be fused into one piece, yet glimpses of light in several places leave no doubt it was not fused. In fact, a standard CAT scan of the star child skull proves that none of its cranial sutures were abnormally fused. Unfused suture lines plus an inward crease equals the star child skull did not have hydrocephaly. A caveman can understand this. Dr. John Baczynski, a radiology expert, can understand this. But internet bloggers and trolls and those pesky Wikipedia geniuses just can't quite manage to grasp it. The most recent favorite among skeptics attempting to explain away the star child is progeria, a very complex condition that makes infants grow old at a highly accelerated rate. As children, they are literally old. As teenagers, they are ancient. Organs become debilitated, bones become thin and brittle, and it is always prematurely fatal. Some of the star child's projected facial features, such as its greatly reduced lower face, are similar to those expressed in progeria. However, in comparison with an actual progeria victim, 
The Starchild skull can't be aligned to create an approximate match. The differences are too extensive. Despite the obvious skeletal ravages of progeria, its victims always have human skulls, which the Starchild clearly does not have. What the Starchild does exhibit is progeria's symptom of thin bone. However, progeria greatly weakens bones as it thins them out, whereas the Starchild's thin bone is hard to an extraordinary degree. In fact, the Starchild's bone is biochemically constructed more like human tooth enamel, the hardest part of our bodies. One final powerful piece of evidence is that in progeria victims, the fontanelle, the soft spot at the top of the head, nearly always remains open until death, while the star child's is clearly closed. Progeria's high degree of complexity and fundamental strangeness makes it easy for internet trolls and Wikipedia hucksters to blind the unsuspecting with glib BS. However, even a tiny amount of objective research reveals their devious and ongoing intellectual scam. So, yet again, extremely hard bone plus a closed fontanelle equals the star child did not have progeria. And, yet again, a caveman can understand this. And, yet again, a certified expert understands it. And, as always, despite abundant evidence contrary to Wikipedia's position on it, their genius editors remain certain they know better. Well-meaning people often tell me they have it on good authority that the star child is 100% human. That absurdity is widely dispersed on the internet and is based on a DNA test carried out in 1999 at a forensic teaching laboratory by a group of student geneticists who concluded the star child was a human male. To say this plainly, 1999 was the stone age of DNA testing and those students badly botched the job. Four years later, in 2003, their answer was conclusively proven wrong by a new round of DNA testing that concluded the star child carried DNA from a human female but had no genetic connection with a human male. We assumed that meant it was a hybrid with a human mother and a non-human father. That held true until 2010 and 2011, when new rounds of DNA testing used sophisticated state-of-the-art sequencing technology to overturn the 2003 results. Next generation equipment produced three partial DNA results that convincingly indicate the star child is not the human male from the botched 1999 test, nor the human-non-human hybrid of 2003. Because DNA analysis can be such a complex, complicated subject, critics, skeptics, and trolls love trying to deflate the star child's case with Occam's razor, which suggests that the simplest solution they can think of no matter how it goes against compelling evidence, should automatically be considered correct. But they forget that razors can, and often do, cut both ways. The star child's solution is not simple, and those who say it is are wrong. It did not miraculously survive massive DNA disruptions that would kill any human shortly after conception. Its head was not cradle-boarded. It did not suffer from hydrocephaly, brachycephaly, Cruzon's disease, Apert syndrome, or any other congenital defect and it clearly did not suffer from progeria. To suggest the star child had any of these disorders is beyond simply being wrong. It is clinging to malicious, willful ignorance of easily available facts that any responsible researcher would have no trouble finding. Finally, let me conclude with a brief discussion about research funding. Many people ask why we need seven figures to sequence the star child's genome. They've heard that human genomes can now be sequenced for only a few thousand dollars. 
That is true, but it involves sequencing the DNA of a living person when all parts of the genome are intact, like long strings of Christmas lights. When sequencing DNA older than 50 years, very special techniques are required because the DNA is degraded into small, broken segments and contaminated by bacteria. Imagine the previously mentioned strings of Christmas lights after a trip through a wood chipper. Therefore, the Storchild's 900-year-old DNA requires analysis that is extremely sophisticated and much more expensive. In the past 13 years, everything we've learned about the Storchild skull strongly indicates it is not human. Ultimately, we will secure the means to prove that assertion, and when we do, it will be a pivotal milestone in human history. If you'd like to play a role in making that happen, you can help us spread the information presented in this and the other two videos as far and as wide as possible so we can connect with someone who has the financial means and a personal desire to join us proving that humans are not alone in the universe and we never have been. This video is about the physical characteristics of the Star Child Skull, one of the most profound and compelling mysteries in the world today. After 13 years of scientific testing by doctors, geneticists, and other experts, the collected evidence strongly suggests the Star Child Skull is not human and whole or apart. Such a radical assertion definitely requires the extraordinary proof demanded by this well-known quote, and that is precisely what this video will provide. The Star Child Skull was found in 1930 in a mine tunnel in the Copper Canyon region of northwest Mexico. It was found with a normal human female skull, and carbon-14 testing has determined that both skull owners died about 900 years ago. The human's lower face is intact, while the star child has lost both cheekbones, the bottom half of its nasal bones, and its upper jaw and teeth. Overall, these two skulls show dramatic physical differences in every respect. If we consider 25 physical points of reference on the human skull and the star child skull, not a single match can be found, not one. Even more remarkable is that some of those variations are unprecedented on Earth. Let's begin with the obvious, which from the front view is the depth and shape of their eye sockets, along with the expanded parietal bones at each side of the star child. The more subtle difference is that humans have brow ridges that dip down beneath the tops of their noses, while the star child has neither a brow ridge nor a dip. Also, the human's eye socket is two inches deep, while the star child's is only one half inch deep. 75% reduction. Whatever kind of eyes belong in the star child sockets, they could not possibly look like or function like human eyes. Creases like the one in the upper rear of the star child can result when a skull's bone plates fuse together abnormally instead of joining properly like jigsaw pieces. However, no part of the star child skull is abnormally fused, so this crease can only result from its genes telling it to grow that way precisely the opposite of how human skulls are shaped. Any mammal's idiom is the bony lump present where its neck connects to its head. Feel your own bump where your neck meets your skull. Unlike all of us, the star child has no idiom, only a shallow depression where it should be. This is a radical difference. Another radical difference is that a human skull balances at two-thirds toward its rear and well toward the rear of its neck. The star child skull balances at the center of its cranial volume, directly above the center of its neck, which provides much easier movement from front to back and side to side. Yet another radical difference is that the two skulls have roughly the same external dimensions, yet the star child's brain volume is one-third larger. The 
human skull holds 1,200 cubic centimeters, which is normal for its size, while the same size star child skull has 1,600 cubic centimeters, 400 more. One reason the star child skull has so much more brain is its lack of frontal sinuses, which in humans is a cauliflower-shaped cavity in the central forehead above and between the eyes. Humans are very rarely born without frontal sinuses, and in those cases, x-rays reveal at least vestiges of what failed to grow properly. However, in the star child skull, no such vestige is seen, and no sign of frontal sinuses effectively separates it from all of us. In humans, brain mass presses straight down on the cerebellum, the blue circle, which securely tucks it into the curve at the rear of the skull. The star child's extra brain mass presses down at a steep angle that would squeeze a human cerebellum out of the frame of magnum, the hole where the spine enters the skull, resulting in death. That didn't happen to the star child, so a few brain experts have speculated that its brain matter might be denser than human brains which is about as radical as differences get. What about neck size and shape? The points where muscles attached to bone reveal the star child's neck was oval rather than circular, and its volume was half of its companion. This leads to speculation that the star child might have had no voice mechanism. Indeed, its extra-large brain and extra-small neck could mean it communicated by telepathy. This startling idea is bolstered by a gene in humans known as FOXB2, which is a key element in our ability to speak. In the video associated with this one that deals with DNA, it shows that the star child has a FOXP2 gene that is incredibly different from its human counterpart. Yet another radical difference results from scaling the star child's greatly reduced cheekbone stubs, which allows a projection of their size and shape, which in turn reveals that its entire face would be much smaller than a normal human's. Additional evidence for the star child's much smaller face is found in the difference between the attachment areas of their chewing muscles. The star child's cover only half the surface area of the humans. Even more evidence that supports the star child having a very small face is found in one half of its upper jaw, or maximum. Fully detached from the rest of the star child's skull, its size approximates that of an infant. Despite the maxilla fragment's very small size, Close-up shows its two visible teeth were heavily worn. This requires several years of chewing food laden with the grit that results from preparation using grinding stones. This much wear has led some experts to conclude the star child was at least a young adult when it died, and possibly much older. The star child's teeth are directly related to several highly unusual facts about its bone. On the exterior surface of human bone, small pits called lacunae are an essential part of biological function. The star child has no lacunae, which is one more physical oddity entirely unique to it. Yet another radical difference between the two skulls is the thickness of their respective bones. The star child's is substantially thinner, yet two or three times stronger. Nine other people and myself have cut into both skulls, and the difference between the two is jaw-dropping like cutting wood versus sheet metal. One reason for the star child's greatly increased hardness becomes evident when comparing the chemical composition of its bone to normal human bone. The carbon and oxygen levels in human bone are greatly increased in the star child, and the abundant calcium and phosphorus are reduced. This gives the star child bone a chemical profile similar to the hardest part of a human body, tooth enamel. Another aspect of the star child's extraordinary hardness is revealed in a magnified cross-section piece of its bone cut by a power tool. 
The scattered openings are cancerous holes where the bone's marrow is created, stored, and moved. What is so unusual here are the various fibers splayed across the surface. This is a close-up of a knot of those fibers. Notice the filament pulled out of a track at the matrix of the bone. It's wrapped into a knot formed by other, thicker fibers. Then it miraculously emerges. The photographs of these fibers were analyzed by mycologists, who concluded they were not fungi, molds, yeast, or bacteria. Here is an exposed portion of a fiber embedded along the inner surface area, the part that rested against the star child's brain. All of these fibers are extremely durable and are woven through the bone's matrix like rebar through concrete. One of the best examples of their durability is this tip sheared rather than smoothly cut by a high-speed blade. Nothing like these fibers are known to be in the bones of any other creature on Earth. The star child is unique in this, and as we've just seen in many other physical characteristics. So, what on Earth is the star child's bone? Is it even from Earth? That's what we need to determine about it, once and for all, beyond all reasonable doubt. And as soon as we can secure the funding we need to do that, here is the group we'll join. In the 1500s, Nicholas Copernicus, Johannes Kepler, and Galileo Galilei moved the Earth and all of humanity from the center of the universe to our proper place as a planet orbiting the sun. In 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright lifted humanity onto their shoulders and flew us all into the world as we know it today. In 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin again changed the cell perception of every human then and since. They took the first steps for all of us toward our inevitable future in space. Now, in 2012, the Star Child Skull is poised to again alter the cell perception of everyone. It can transform humans from isolated beings on an illuminated rock in the vastness of the universe into members of whatever galactic community might be out there. To make that happen, we have to find someone with the means and the will to join us taking the next giant step in human history. To make that connection, we need help sharing this information with as many people as possible. And this is where you come in. By helping us do what we have to do, you can take a direct role in changing human history. It's a rare opportunity in any lifetime, so I hope each of you can find a way to take advantage of it. And good luck to us all.
I'm Lloyd Pye. For the past 13 years, I've worked with doctors, geneticists, and other scientific experts trying to solve one of the world's great mysteries. The Starchild skull is an actual bone skull that has virtually nothing in common with a human skull. It was discovered around 1930 in a mine tunnel in the Copper Canyon region of Mexico, beside a human female skull we use for comparison. Carbon-14 dating confirms that both died about 900 years ago. The Starchild skull's physical traits and its genetic structure are so extensively different from a normal human. At a bare minimum, it will be considered a new species and potentially even an extraterrestrial alien. Since 1999, our goal has been to answer two astonishing questions about it. What on Earth is the Starchild skull, and is it even from Earth? Many amateurs and credential professionals insist the Starchild skull was a human that suffered an extreme illness or deformity. Other experts discount that because they, unlike most critics, actually examine the skull. Those hands-on experts overwhelmingly agree the Starchild is completely unique and it does not fit the known profiles for any genetic variation or congenital defect. A common misconception about deformity is that genetic variation can produce any kind of physical alteration. This is wrong because survival past conception depends on genetic variations that fall within very narrowly defined parameters. Extensive physical and or genetic variations are always fatal, and in the Starchild's case, we know from partial DNA recoveries that its genome contains vastly more genetic variations than any human could possibly survive. Despite our best efforts to present the truth about the star child, misinformation persists on the internet, including allegations that DNA recoveries have shown it to be 100% human, that its flat rear was caused by cradle boarding or some other cranial binding, that the expanded parietal bones at its sides were caused by hydrocephaly, and that its general weirdness was caused by progeria. Cradle boarding was a widespread practice in primitive cultures around the world. Infants would be swaddled onto a board carried on their mother's back as she did her daily work. To support their weak necks, infants' heads were loosely strapped down. Extensive resting of the rear of the head against the cradle board slowly deformed the soft skull bones until they were as flat as the board. A perfect example of cradle boarding is the human female found with the star child. The rear of her skull is bored flat from the top of the crown to just above the Indian. The knob of bone at the lower rear of every human's head, where neck muscles attach to our skulls and prevent further flattening. In contrast, the Starchild skull has no Indian, and its flattening extends well past where its Indian should be. Also, any method of artificially shaping infant skulls leaves unmistakable evidence on their soft bones, and no such evidence is found on the Starchild's clearly convoluted bones, as observed by Dr. Ted Robinson. In addition, if the star child had ever been cradleboarded, even once, the angle of the skull's downward tilt would be so extreme it would have choked to death in minutes and never would have reached adulthood, which we know it did. Therefore, no smooth flattening plus no choking hazard equals the star child was not cradleboarded. Another misguided explanation that tries to account for the star child's physical anomalies centers on the bulging parietal bones at the sides of its head. Skeptics insist those must result from hydrocephaly, which causes excess spinal fluid to collect in or around the brain, 
which expands the skull uniformly, like a balloon. The first areas to expand are the suture lines, created by the disconnected edges of several bone plates that comprise an infant's skull, and which gradually close during its first two years to eventually fit together like puzzle pieces. In the star child skull, all of its sutures join normally with no signs of separation, which by itself rules out any form of hydrocephaly. In addition, notice that a three-way junction of sutures actually dips inward. Could a balloon be blown up with a crease on its surface? No, and neither could the star child, unless its three-way plate junction was fused solid rather than closed normally. This is a standard CAT scan showing none of its cranial sutures were fused, a fact Dr. John Baczynski, a radiology expert, confirms. An inward crease plus no fused sutures equals the star child did not have hydrocephaly. The most recent favorite among skeptics trying to explain away the star child is progeria, a highly complex, inevitably fatal condition that causes infants to grow old at an extremely accelerated rate. Hopeful critics point out that one of the star child's projected facial features, its greatly reduced lower face, is similar to the facial reduction seen in progeria victims. However, the skulls of progeria victims are innately human while the star child is not. There is no way to fit the star child skull into the head of a progeria victim because their physiognomy is so different. Another progeria symptom found in the star child is thin bone, but the similarity ends there. As progeria thins out its victim's bones, it greatly weakens them, whereas the star child's thin bone is two or three times harder than normal human bone. In fact, biochemically, it's more like human tooth enamel. Also, in progeria victims, the fontanelle, the soft spot at the top of the head, nearly always remains open until death, while the star child's is clearly closed. So, extremely hard bone plus a closed fontanelle equals the star child did not have progeria. Thirteen years of struggle to decipher the riddle of the star child skull make clear that nothing about it is simple or easy. Yet today we know several things about it with a high degree of certainty. It did not miraculously survive massive DNA disruptions that would kill any normal human shortly after conception. Its head was not cradle-boarded. It did not suffer from hydrocephaly or any other congenital defect, and it most clearly did not suffer from progeria. With those issues settled, let's turn to DNA. In the Star Child's case, three rounds of DNA testing have occurred. One was in 1999, the Stone Age of DNA testing, which concluded that the Star Child was a human male. Four years later, in 2003, that original test was thoroughly discredited by a far more sophisticated series of tests that indicated the Star Child was a hybrid being with a human mother and a non-human father. Finally, in 2010 and 2011, state-of-the-art tests have shown that both of the earlier tests produced flawed results because the star child's DNA was much too unusual to be handled by those antiquated procedures. Despite the latest test results, people frequently tell me they've heard or read that the star child's DNA was proved to be 100% human. Critics doggedly insist the earlier results provide reliable confirmation that the star child is human. 
this gross factual error is widely dispersed across the Internet because skeptics wrongly believe that if any sample of unknown DNA has any part that resembles human DNA, the sample is automatically from a human. This isn't just wrong, it's absurdly wrong. Human DNA is widely shared with dozens of other species. Chimps share 97% of their genome with humans. Gorillas, 95%. Rats, 70%. Mice, 65%. And even fruit flies share 60%. Therefore, a few strings of base pairs of star child DNA that happen to match human DNA does not mean it's entirely human, not by a mile. One absolute truth that everybody everywhere can count on is that no DNA recovered from the star child thus far actually proves it is 100% human. To grasp the basics of this debate, we need to understand that all humans have two types of DNA. Nuclear DNA comes from both parents and gives us our individuality. Mitochondrial DNA comes from our mothers only, and it allows each of us to be compared to other humans who share certain genetic affinities. The initial recovery of the star child's nuclear DNA produced several dozen fragments containing more than 30,000 base pairs, the steps in the twisted ladder of DNA. In half of those fragments, the base pairs could be matched exactly to similar fragments of the human genome. However, the other half could not be matched to any currently known species. These results are preliminary, requiring much repetitive testing for absolute verification. And if they were the only unusual results, they would be interesting but not totally compelling. However, they're far from the only unusual results. In humans, the 16,569 base pairs in our mitochondrial DNA carry a specific upper limit of variations, 120. Thus, every human has 120 or fewer variations in their mitochondrial DNA. Neanderthals have around 200 variations. The new prehuman, Denisovans, have 385. For every species, these numbers are solidly established, and they change extremely slowly over very long periods of time. With the star child's mitochondrial DNA, four recovered fragments add up to 9.5% of the human total. They contain 93 base pair variations. If we extrapolate 93 out to 100%, it creates a statistically acceptable bracket of 800 to 1,000 base pair differences in the star child compared to a human's 120 maximum. Thus, these two genomes cannot remotely be related. They're apples and lemons. Moving the star child even farther from humans is the recent recovery of a 211 base pair fragment recovered from the star child's FOXP2 gene. In humans, the FOXP2 gene is essential for formation of our brains, numerous internal organs, and our ability to speak. This all-important gene contains 2,594 base pairs, and in every normal human, each of those base pairs is absolutely identical. Here in blue, we see the 211 base pair fragment of human FOXP2, compared to the star child's fragment in black, along with fragments of several other species. The key things to notice here are the red letters among the star child's fragment, each of which denotes a single base pair variation. There are 56. Remember, normal humans have no variations in their entire FOXP2 gene and certainly none in the 211 base pair fragment found in the star child. 
But rhesus monkeys do have two such variations, mice 20, dogs 27, elephants 21, opossums 21, frogs 26. And then we have the star child's towering 56. Remember, this FOXP2 result, like the previous two, is partial. All three require additional DNA testing to establish absolute confirmation. Yet because all three are so highly anomalous relative to normal humans, we can be confident they will prove the star child's genome bears no relation to the human genome. Apart from DNA, we have physical evidence that confirms the star child is not human. If we consider 25 tangible points of reference on the human skull and the star child skull, not a single match can be found, not one. Even more remarkable is that some of those variations are unprecedented on Earth. <coughs> the human eye socket is two inches deep, while the star child's is only one half inch deep, a 75% reduction with a completely altered shape. Human eye sockets can have noticeable depth reductions if they have abnormal fusions in their cranial sutures. But a CAT scan has revealed that the star child did not have any fused sutures. Also, every astronaut who has spent more than a month in space acquired small but measurable reductions in the depth of their eye sockets. All humans have a brow ridge, which the star child lacks. Its brain is one-third larger than a human of its size. What should be 1,200 cubic centimeters is in fact 1,600. It has no frontal sinuses, another key aspect of human speech. A human skull balances at two-thirds toward its rear, behind the center of its neck. The star child skull balances at its center of cranial volume, directly above the center of its neck, which is much smaller than a human neck and oval rather than circular. In humans, the cerebellum in the blue circle is securely tucked into the curve at the rear of the skull. In the star child, its extra brain mass presses down at a steep angle that would squeeze a human brain out of the foramen magnum, the hole where the spine enters the skull. This has led some experts to speculate that the star child's brain might well be made of a denser material than human brains. The star child had very small cheekbones and correspondingly small chewing muscles. A fragment of the star child's maxilla, its upper jaw, reveals a mouth the size of an infant's that contained a full set of adult teeth, although only two remained intact. Those two teeth were worn to an extent not possible for a child, and also seem unlikely in an adult with such reduced chewing capacity due to its greatly reduced chewing muscles. This has led to speculation that the star child might possibly grow multiple sets of teeth during a greatly expanded lifetime. On the surface of human bone are many small pits called lacunae, which are an essential factor in the biological functioning of all vertebrate bone. Yet the star child bone contains no lacunae. Also, the star child's bone is much thinner than human bone, but it is much more durable. One reason for that durability is seen in magnified cross-sections, which show that microscopic fibers have successfully resisted a cutting blade. These fibers are embedded in the star child's bone like the steel rebar that reinforces concrete. Mycologists have ruled out fungi, moles, yeast, and bacteria. These fibers are a natural part of the star child's bone, and nothing like them has ever been found in any other bone from any other creature on Earth. A 
Another discovery unique to the star child is a reddish residue in its cancerous folds. This is not bone marrow, which in all species is consumed by bacteria after death. Whatever this residue is, it resisted the natural organisms that consume post-mortem tissue, which makes it, too, one of a kind on Earth. Altogether, the extensive physical evidence we've gathered combines with the compelling DNA evidence to strongly indicate the star child skull is not from a human, and it may well be from beyond Earth. However, to prove that radical claim to a level no critic or skeptic can challenge, we have to secure a complete genome recovery. When we do that, it will be one of the greatest milestones in human history. Unfortunately, no endeavor of such size and importance can be completed without support. If you have found this video compelling and would like to help us by spreading the word about it, or in some other more direct way, please visit StarChildProject.com.